Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on this week's episode, I am very excited, but also skeptical, because Graham Ruthven has proposed a topic that I think he did specifically because the last couple episodes were very, Graham does the research and explains a complicated topic. I feel like this one, he wanted to uh, to get me into more of the, the meat of the research, and he has done just that with the best soccer conspiracies. Graham, was that the thinking behind this, or am I already being too conspiratorial? Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Yeah, possibly being too conspiratorial. <laughs> I just wanted to see which um, tin foil hat from your mm-hmm. collection you would choose to uh, to to wear for this episode. I have to say, great, great choice. I love the the fairy yes. lights on this one, and yeah. and and the, and the the drawings. They're not at all creepy or anything they're symbols to protect me graham it's very clear that's how you keep fifa out baby it's how you keep fifa (laughs) out of here they can't get in they don't know what's going on in there i am excited to talk about many of these some of them i i do sort of buy into many of them i do not let's start with one that 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 gets talked about a lot graham nike forcing the original ronaldo to play the 1998 world cup final bit of background on this one would be and then graham i look forward to you filling in uh anything i leave out is essentially that ronaldo when the i believe when the teams are originally released for the world cup final ronaldo is not starting he does eventually go on to start that game and it was initially kind of like wrapped in mystery. I think it comes out later on that Ronaldo had had a seizure the night before and was therefore left off for medical reasons. And then the theory goes Nike, who had massive say and influence supposedly into that Brazil team, the Brazil World Cup ads, how famous they were and the sponsorship money on hand. They wanted Ronaldo, one of their main players, to be playing in this game. So they forced Brazil to start him and he has a very... Uh, quiet World Cup final as France go on to win, underdogs France go on to win. So that would be uh, a a fairly prominent one, Graham, that seems yeah. to have some roots in reality, but maybe not fully rooted in reality. Yeah, so to me, and this might be a generational thing, because the 98 World Cup was the first tournament I was properly into as, as a kid. I was seven years old, I was football mad at, at that age. This feels like the most famous or infamous um, conspiracy theory in football. It's the one that it's the reason it's top of the running order for us is it's the one that comes to, straight to mind when I think of uh, conspiracy theories in football. And you're right, Taylor. The the context, the background is Ronaldo is the best player in the world at this time. He'd scored four goal four goals. Brazil were in the final against the hosts, uh, France, and additionally. Um, Nike were becoming a big player, major player in soccer at the time. I know it's hard to imagine now, given that Nike sponsor everyone and every team and they're omnipresent in soccer. But in the 90s, that wasn't really the case. And in 94, when Brazil won that World Cup, they were wearing Umbro. And Nike made a big play for the 98 World Cup. It's their way of getting into soccer as an Amer- American brand that hadn't really done that before. They signed Nike as their, bur- the, excuse me, they signed Brazil as their, their first um, big team. And Ronaldo was their guy. He was the billboard star. He was the best player in the world. So the, the, the theory is that they obviously wanted him to play the final as their billboard star, as, as, the, as the star of that tournament. Uh, Ronaldo himself, there's a, a recent documentary where he's talking with Roberto Carlos about this, and he kind of, he scoffs at the idea that Nike had no involvement. Um, more likely was, this didn't come from Ronaldo, by the way, but I saw some reporting around this. More likely was that the Brazilian Federation had some say in Ronaldo um, starting. So that first team sheet, it's speculated as as Agallo, the the manager who makes the decision, understandably, that Ronaldo is in no fit state to to play a match, let alone a World Cup final. Then under some pressure from the Brazil Federation, who see the team sheet and are obviously shocked that the best player isn't going to play, 
kind of apply some pressure. Then a second team sheet goes in to FIFA and uh, he plays the match. You can look for the the BBC coverage, pre-match coverage of this, where Gary Lineker uh, is the presenter for BBC. He gets the team sheet and you, there's there's visible and audible shock, the fact that Ronaldo's not going to play the game. And then 15 ma- minutes later, he literally gets handed a sheet of paper mm. while he's presenting presenting on air, like a hand appears from behind the camera and hands him a sheet of paper and Ronaldo's on that team sheet. So there was a real sense of mystery around this. As you say, Taylor, he, he was very lethargic in the game. Mm. He didn't really have an influence. This turned into the Zidane final and the France final winning, winning their, their, their home World Cup. But... It was one of the first conspiracy theories that uh, came to mind when I thought of this episode idea. And I think, Graham, you talked about the Federation's involvement. Like, my understanding of this has been to to give credit to Nike for having that level of influence, I guess, is understandable because of the money they, they put into that Brazil team. But ultimately, like, what, like, Phil Knight walked in there and, w- and was like, hey. He needs to be starting. Like, I, I doubt there was a Nike rep in the locker room. I think your It was just read. the swoosh. It was the physical yes, yes. manifestation uh, the of the swoosh. swoosh. Walked, yes. yes. Walked into <laughs> the dressing room and said, start Ronaldo. Uh, I have an upside down swoosh on my tinfoil hat. That's how you negate the Nike influence. <laughs> of course, um, yeah. My guess would be that it's a combination of the Federation and probably the player. I think about this when it comes to the NFL, where you have players who are obviously concussed and trying to keep playing. You have players who have suffered very bad injuries but are trying to get back onto the field because they want that shot of glory. A World Cup final, if you are Brazil, I mean, if you're a World Cup final to begin with, is going to be a momentous thing that you've dreamed of your entire life. If you are Brazilian and the potential heir apparent to Pele, I think you're going to want to start that final. And I see a scenario in which he had a seizure or a medical issue. The coach said, I'm not risking this. You don't seem like you're going to be fully ready to go. Ronaldo pressures him. The Federation pressures him, backing Ronaldo. The coach's hand is forced, and here we are. But I do love that conspiracy to get us off and running. But I'm not buying into that one, Graham. I might be buying into the saga that ended, quote-unquote, Johan Cruyff's Netherlands career. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so we're going back to the 1974 World Cup, and specifically the final between the Netherlands and West Germany. So, this was the Netherlands team led by Johan Cruyff. They were widely considered the, the best team in the world. They'd kind of swept everyone aside on their way to the final and everyone expected them to win that final against West Germany. But before the final, Bild, which is the, the biggest newspaper in, in Germany, they ran a story headlined Cruyff, Champagne and Girls. And basically the story was that four Dutch players, including Cruyff, had been at a naked pool party uh, I've never been to a pool party, so the idea of a naked pool party is kind of uh, alien to me. But basically, it was a bunch of girls uh, during the t- uh, at this pool party during the tournament, not the players' partners. And so that was the story on the front page of the German press. A number of years later, uh, Ari Hahn, who was a midfielder in the Netherlands team, he gave an interview and he said that he admitted the team was unsettled by this the, the story. Um, a, a number of the players ended up in kind of conflict with their, their partners, with their wives, their, their other halves. And in particular, Cruyff ended up not having any sleep before the final mm-hmm. because he was on the phone to his uh, less than happy, happy wife who was yep. back home uh, reading these stories. Cruyff never played at another World Cup. Um, his uh, Netherlands career kind of peaked and then fizzled out after this point. And then the rumor was that this was an, an agreement with his wife and uh, not to play at another one of these tournaments due to his extra extracurricular exploits, shall we say. The real conspiracy, though, in my mind, though, is this belief that has never really been proven, but I think a lot of Dutch fans believe it, 
that Build actually set the whole thing up and they were the ones behind the pool party and maybe they were the ones that sent the girls to the to this party. As I say, no idea if there's any truth to that. But it's a good conspiracy yeah. theory in that there's a couple different folds to it. And I would extend it even further to, like, Renis Michaels, the manager at the time, says this did not happen. I didn't hear any players ever sort of even do the, like, yeah, you know, we were a little bit loose. Like, I, I don't feel like there was necessarily even a thing that occurred. I could absolutely see German newspaper build wanting to create chaos, especially at the time, and and publishing a story that was a bit sensationalized, maybe even fabricated. Uh, to the Cruyff point of things, though, I think it's really interesting because that becomes a... A pretty sizable talking point in 1978 in the Argentina World Cup because I feel like it often gets reported as uh, Cruyff was protesting the military junta and refused to go play there. And that is obviously would have been a very noble understanding. But I think then it gets reported as his wife didn't want him to go. He was committed to his family. And so I'm assuming that idea connects to this 1974 issue. And then I think somewhat recently, I mean, obviously he passed away. A, a fair a fair time ago but there's the story that it was actually a kidnapping incident that made him not want to leave his wife and children so i feel like all of this sort of blends together in a like maybe there was smoke there maybe there was some fire there but in reality it does feel to me like a made-up story that maybe caught yeah. traction well there are things that we know to be factual about this story right that it was on the front page of mm -hmm. the german newspapers yep. and i can t totally envisage this unsettling the squad it feels like it was a huge story across germany and the netherlands as i say front page news so i i totally believe uh, ari han who says that it, it kind of unsettled them it changed the the moods within the camp mm -hmm. that bit i can totally buy um the others um i don't know if i buy that build set the whole thing up if, if it happens i don't know if i buy they like bought the girls to then be at the yeah. pool party and so on because i think this happens before the brazil semi-final and so that is some foresight that brazil uh, excuse me mm. build set this up knowing that the netherlands would then make the final against west germany that that feels like there's too yeah. many moving parts there to, to to settle into this but some other things I, c I could certainly believe it feels to me more like maybe additional sources weren't consulted the dutch team wasn't asked about it before that one went to print so maybe there was a rumor that was printed uh in 72 point font on the front page and here we are uh let's talk about another incident that was slightly disruptive would be bobby moore being thrown into yeah. jail graham this this is one <laughs> i did not know about until you put it in the running order and i've now read multiple articles about because it's an insane sequence of events that i don't think could happen in the present era i mean it could but it would be I guess as unbelievable as this must have been yeah. at the time, but uh, Bobby Moore being thrown into a Colombian prison ahead of a World Cup is not a thing I would have seen coming. Harry Maguire begs to differ that this could Ooh, never happen that is in a the, good point. the modern era. <laughs> uh, so this time we're going back to the 1970 oh World Cup. There is just something about World Cups that make them rife for conspiracy theories, and I, I, I kind of love it. But anyway, England are the defending champions after regretfully winning the World Cup in 1966, hmm. and the 1970 World Cup is in Mexico, but England are preparing for the tournament in Colombia. They're playing a, a couple of friendlies in, in South America. So the story goes that there was a jewellery store or some kind of store that had a jewellery section in the in the hotel where England were staying. And Bobby Moore and Bobby Charlton um, went into this shop one time. They were looking for a present for Charlton's wife, apparently. But as they were leaving, um, they were accused of stealing a bracelet. 
at this point, nothing happens, and there's a gentleman's agreement between the team and journalists not to report it, which is quaint, and that definitely wouldn't happen in the 21st mm. century. But after England won the, the game 4-0, Bobby Moore is arrested for theft, and this created a huge international incident, and Moore was detained for four days. In the end, he is released after diplomatic pressure from British Prime Minister Harold Wilson and um, a lack of evidence, which is quite crucial as well, I guess. Uh, two years later, leaked documents suggest it was a deliberate sting mm-hmm. by the Colombian Secret Service to extract money or destabilise the defending champions ahead of the of the World Cup. So I'm a, the, the latter part of that, destabilise the defending champions ahead of the World Cup, is that just down to the fact that everyone hates England? Because Colombia, <laughs> I'm not entirely sure on how strong Colombia were at that time, but it would surprise me if they were in contention mm-hmm. to win a World Cup. Were Colombia just in on destabilising England for the for the betterment of the world that someone else would win it other than England? That was the bit I wasn't <laughs> it. I wasn't it's, quite following. They're being global champions. Uh, what one piece I read that I think made a little bit of sense to me was that this is evidently a a somewhat common scam that if you have a person who is quite high profile as the England team were walking into a jewelry store saying, "Hey, this item has now gone missing," with the assumption that that very well remunerated player is going to say like i didn't take it here's 200 bucks though like let's just call this what it is it's a way to sort of get a person who can probably part with that money to part with that right. money when they weren't otherwise going to buy a piece of jewelry but at the time there is also corruption in colombia there is a sentiment that the government is not working for the people that the police force is certainly not working for the people and i saw one idea that arresting Bobby Moore was a way to show number one, like the authority that they had and that they could arrest this international star, but also to show that like, Hey, we'll arrest anybody for crimes. We're, we're about justice, not about, uh, sort of like wetting our beaks or something like that. But the idea of like drumming up charges to then arrest a player to show how serious you are about crime. It's basically committing crime to show that you're serious about not committing (laughs) crime. It's, it's an interesting approach, I would say, but it's one that I don't know how far I want to go with it, but it definitely seems like he did not steal a bracelet, nor did Bobby Charlton, who I think was also involved in the the drama. Graham, are you are you saying England definitely did this and they're all thieves is what I'm hearing from you? Well, I'm, I'm just trying to quickly Google how England did at the 1970 World Cup. They only made it as far as the... Uh as the quarterfinals. So if, if, if Germany would like to arrest Declan Rice ahead of the Euros this summer, <laughs> that's fine, fine by me. Go ahead. But we do know that the 1970 World Cup happened, Graham. It, it definitely existed. Uh, some would say the 1958. We, we know less about. That's, that's our next conspiracy. Another one that I was not familiar with, that the 1958 World Cup was faked by the CIA. This one I'm going to say is, is a, an uncommon double hoax. Let's let's yeah. roll with it, Graham. Let's talk it out. Yeah. So for this one, Taylor, I'm going to need need to make sure your tinfoil hat is on nice and tight because uh, mm-hmm. the waves are off this theory are are strong. Uh, the but it was a documentary. Uh, uh, like you can buy that extension. I've added that on. So okay, yeah, you can cool. you can get that later yeah. on if you need. You're to. protected. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep, yep, yep. Excellent. So there's a documentary film called Conspiration Fifty Eight. Uh, it's a Swedish film and it was released in 2002. It focuses on historian Bror Jacques de, de Warn. 
Mm-hmm. Hope I pronounced that correctly. Doing great. And his claim that the 1958 World Cup didn't actually happen in the way that they said it did. He claims the 58 World Cup was wasn't held in Sweden, but rather it was staged in the USA as part of a Cold War era experiment into the power of televised propaganda. It was faked by the CIA, according to him, and FIFA were in on it, and uh, so were other powerful figures within the television industry. Here's a quote by this historian. He says, The United States needed to test television's power to influence people. It was part of the Cold War that was raging at the time. I call it the media race. Um, His evidence was that the buildings in the background of match footage didn't exist in Sweden, but were in Los Angeles instead. He said the length of the, the shadows from players shows that the the, the matches Mm. were played in another part of the world. There is, however, a twist here. The whole thing was a hoax. It was a mockumentary and the credits of the the film, um, there's actually a serious message to this. It it, it laid out, um, it was a thought-provoking experiment to point out how stupid and irresponsible Holocaust denial is. There are, however, in typical uh, 21st century internet fashion, there are still some theories wafting around that the uh, the 1958 World Cup, excuse me, uh, didn't actually happen. So despite the fact that this is quite clearly a hoax and a mockumentary, some people are not willing to let the I- idea go. In a way, that's comforting to know that that's not just a modern era thing of like, you can be faced with reality and fact and still say, now nah, that didn't happen. It's happened as long ago as 1950, or I guess whatever the documentary came out about 1958. Uh, watch that be like 2013. Uh, but I, it is, it is, wild to read some of the people who continue to believe this theory and how they talk about like there's no reputable source you can find that will like definitively prove it happened and when you interview the swedish players who that was a very significant tournament to sweden they made a lot of progress and it was like they were heralded as national champions when one of those players will say like no it absolutely happened it was an important part of my career you're just a ca plant man like it's (laughs) it's it's so easy to just dismiss that apparently um i also love the idea that the ca in 1958 would have cared about soccer or seen that as any sort of thing that they had any involvement in that would have definitely been uh a foreign concept that was connected to communism and i'm pretty sure they would have avoided the world cup at all costs the cia uh, I, I just love that the cold war gives so many people mm-hmm. carte blanche to just be like it didn't happen that way man it, it, yeah. was, it was all a hoax it was all it was a different way you don't understand it's just used in so many different contexts yeah i think it's also given the cia a lot of credit to fake an entire tournament uh but you never know uh, I'm not, I'm, I don't know if I needed the CIA attachment to the tinfoil hat for that one. Uh, Graham, so it seems like we're both, uh, discounting the 1958 one, especially since it's publicly a hoax. Well, speak uh, for yourself. Where are you on Lasagna Gate? <laughs> okay, so a bit of background here. I'm sure a lot of listeners will know what we're talking about, um, when we, when you say Lasagna Gate, but I'll run through some background. So it's the final weekend of the 2005 2006 Premier League season. And Tottenham are playing West Ham. And it's a huge game because Spurs only needed to match Arsenal's result against Wigan to qualify for the Champions League for the first time in a long, long while. Actually, maybe maybe ever in the Champions League era. I should have researched that. But Spurs, it was not common for them to be in the Champions League at that time. So it's a huge game. Um, however, the night before, Spurs were staying at a hotel, which they wouldn't usually do. But since it was a big game, the, the club booked them a night at this hotel. The players had lasagna for dinner. And as many as 10 of them ended up with what they thought was food poisoning um, and were unavailable uh, to play the next game or struggled to play the the, the game against West Ham. Tottenham tried to get the match postponed, but the the Premier League refused, meaning that they had to um, 
play a weekend team against West Ham. There was discussions about maybe we could play it at 7.30, maybe we could play it at 5. The Premier League wasn't so keen on that, so it went ahead at 3 o'clock in, in, in the end. And famously, Spurs ended up losing that game and Arsenal beat Wigan, meaning they climbed into fourth place above their rivals on the final day of the season. Now, there are all sorts of theories about what happened here, including one that was, um, I think maybe not sincerely aired by Jermaine Defoe, but nonetheless, the words came out of his mouth. He thought maybe West Ham had done something to the food. I'm not entirely clear on how that would work. They weren't staying in that hotel or anything. And bizarrely, Arsenal were staying next door at another hotel at the Four Seasons, next door to where Tottenham were staying. So there were theories about them tampering with the the food and I'm laughing about this now but this this actually became a, like a police investigation um and like health sa- health and safety investigation yeah. and uh, as I say the police got involved and food samples were, were taken uh the most common theory was that the chef at the Spurs hotel had been an Arsenal fan and so he or she had kind of masterminded the the whole thing. In the end, the investigation showed that it was a viral illness rather than than oh, food poisoning. But there are still theories, other theories to this day about a cover, a Premier League cover up, and all sorts. And actually, it was uh, the Gunners that were behind Lasagna Gate. I feel like whenever you get a a, a public figure wearing a jersey, you're always going to get into trouble. So whenever you get like a referee photographed, like ten years ago, he was wearing an Arsenal kit or a Man United kit, and I, I like to think that the chef had the same experience of like wearing an Arsenal kit around one day, and that became the subject of a police investigation. Whereas, yeah, it was just a viral situation uh, at most likely. And then at worst was basically just like they needed to take some some uh, some health and safety courses on how to have a clean yeah. kitchen, um, which everyone should take. Uh, I'm envisaging but, yeah. the, the, the Spurs dressing room before the game being like that scene in Bridesmaids where they're trying on yes. the, the wedding dresses, <laughs> just spewing on top of each other's heads. Someone pooped into a manhole. We all saw yeah. it coming. Uh, all right, Graham, Michael Carrick. I am led to believe that this uh, this is the last one I believe you had on your list. This is the one that it seems like you most buy into. Steven Gerrard yeah. deliberately missing a penalty. Yeah. So all the other theories, I you know, I struggled to believe, but this one I have always believed, and that's why it's on the list. It's not the most consequential that's on this list, but it's on the list because I kind of buy into it. Um, it sticks in the mind for me. I remember it at the time, and as you say, Taylor, this theory is that Steven Gerrard. De- deliberately missed a penalty to get Roy Hodgson sacked as Liverpool manager. I believe this one. I believe he did this. So the background is that Liverpool are struggling really, really badly. Hodgson is under serious pressure. And at this point, you know that you know that way where a manager gets the point, they're going to get the sack. You know they're going to get the sack. It doesn't really matter if they if if, if they you know they're mm-hmm. given any longer to turn yeah. it round. It's not going to work out. That's where Roy Hodgson was as Liverpool manager at this point. Um, as we've learned in the years since, largely through. Jamie Carragher on Sky. Uh, he wasn't a, a particularly popular figure in the dressing room, Roy Hodgson, and the players weren't exactly sad to see him go. So that's a piece of context as well. So Liverpool are struggling really badly. They're losing 3-1 away to Blackburn Rovers when they win a penalty. I think there's about 20 minutes left, so 70-minute mark, they win this penalty. Um, so in theory, I guess, if they score it, it's 3-2. Maybe it's the start of a fight back. Maybe it's a momentary reprieve for Hodgson. He gets another game. So Steven Gerrard steps up, steps up. He's got an excellent penalty record from the spot. I believe he'd scored 12 from 12 before this one, but he misses. Now, that's not impossible that that could happen, but if you watch the video of this and you look at how he takes it, 
his body language, he's a little bit shifty, he looks a little bit uncomfortable, he's glancing over to the bench, he, he just doesn't look comfortable. And then the way he takes it as well, with a kind of like side foot over the middle of the goal, which is not a miss you really see very often with a penalty, I think he deliberately puts it over the bar. I think he thought the damage had already been done, Liverpool weren't going to have a successful season, and he didn't want to risk Hodgson being kept on any longer. And indeed, Hodgson got sacked a few days later on the back of that result. So I don't know if you've seen the video, Taylor, of this, but I, I think he means to put it over the bar. I think my anti-Gerrard Liverpool bias colors this one for me because I'm just sort of like, but maybe he also just missed a penalty. He's had a few high-profile mistakes in his career, Steven Gerrard. Uh, but I guess I could, I could, at the very least, I could see a scenario in which he is not particularly motivated to make that penalty and take it well. Uh, but I think we've heard similar theories about, I think a while ago, the United States was beating uh, Mexico 2-0. Uh, Dos Acero, Clinton Dempsey steps up to take the penalty and misses it in like really obvious fashion. And that led to a whole theory that he missed it deliberately to preserve Dos Acero because it was such <laughs> a good storyline. I don't know if I buy into that one. I've, I probably buy into the Gerard one a little bit more because I could see a player of his profile thinking, I don't want things to seem like they're good. And if I miss this penalty, that's just going to add further fuel to the fire. And I'm not getting sacked. And Roy Hodgson definitely did. So, Graham, it feels like of all of the ones on this list, this is the one that you're putting the most faith in? Yeah, absolutely. I think he misses this deliberately. Right. Interesting. Where are you on the Argentina uh, doping Brazil with tranquilizers saga? Uh, do you buy into that one at all? Tell me more, all Taylor right. Rockwell. So this is this is one that I I I can't tell if it's like a thing that was alleged and then Argentina just ran with it tongue in cheek. But basically, the knockout round of the 1990 World Cup, Argentina and Brazil facing each other, which is a pretty uh pretty big fixture to happen in the in the first knockout round. But that's how it went, um, and it's a game in which Argentina are not creating many opportunities, uh, and then there's a a break in play. The Argentine physio brings out some water bottles, offers one to Brazilian defender Bronco, who was marking uh, Diego Maradona. That was his task for that game uh, and had been doing a pretty, pretty good job after he drinks the water. This comes out, I think, two days later. Bronco says he immediately started to feel dizzy. He immediately started to feel nauseated and fatigued. Uh, he noticeably is not able to track Maradona as well. He takes some free kicks and they are very much not accurate. And it leads to an idea that the uh, Argentine med, med medical officer had drugged the water bottle and basically given him a water bottle spiked with tranquilizers. Uh, there is fuel to this fire when Maradona, speaking about it later on, seems to sort of imply that it is definitely a thing that happened. I think he called it like the magic juice or something like that. He called it holy water. Excuse me. He it called it holy water. water. Yes, they gave to Brazil. <laughs> yes. There you go. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, their coach... Uh, their coach at the time later on when interviewed about this said, I'm not saying it didn't happen, which I think was a, a way that, again, <laughs> might have just been trolling. But uh, there are also allegations that Argentina had uh, spiked water in a positive way in the 1978 World Cup, that they were basically taking water with amphetamines in it uh, as a way to stay motivated. That one has never been proven. This one has never been proven. But it is one that uh, comes to the top of the pile when we talk about football conspiracies. And there is no love lost between these two countries. So I feel like stranger things have happened. 
Is this how Maradona explained his positive drugs test at the, yes. the 94? It was, it was Brazil getting me back. It, it wasn't was Brazil me at all. getting him yeah, back. Exactly. There's a conspiracy theory around that as well, by the way, that Maradona had been on, he argued that it was, um, some, something related to weight loss sure. drugs that he'd been on before the tournament and that he'd gone to FIFA and cleared them. And then during the tournament, they went back on their word and, Mm-hmm. scapegoated him is what he said but Maradona <laughs> Joe Havilland said so. that cocaine was cool man I, what, what are you guys <laughs> talking about I thought this was fine uh yeah that 94 one I do love that idea that he like runs to the camera to celebrate and the and the, the doping official was like that guy <laughs> bring me that guy with those eyes I want to see what's going on there I love how they led them off the pitch as well with the like yeah. they almost um so, sort of I don't know how to describe it the nurse imagine a nurse but on Halloween, like a Halloween nurse yeah. costume yeah. with like the red cross on mm-hmm. the front of the leading Maradona by the hand that was. of the pitch. It's a bizarre, bizarre image. And then that nurse pulled off the wig to reveal that it was actually Bronco, the Brazilian defender. And it was getting <laughs> revenge, Graham. I, I like that the conspiracy comes full circle. Um, another one that gets often mentioned is South Korea at the 2002 World Cup. Yes. The way they get past Italy and Spain, many contentious decisions in both of those games. Some, I think, were maybe correct calls, but seemed incorrect at the time. Some were 50-50, some were outright poor. But it's also the case that Byron Moreno, uh, the official in that game, subsequently is suspended by the Ecuadorian Federation uh, later on in 2002 for match fixing. He's then arrested in 2010, smuggling six kilos of heroin through JFK Airport. So there is a a feeling maybe that the official himself has a history of uh, match fixing and drug smuggling maybe means he might be not above taking some money to have some calls go away or maybe just taking a little bit of influence to have calls go a certain way. There are many different articles, many different videos that break down the decisions in these in these two games. The Italy one in particular, yeah, there's a disallowed goal uh, for offside that is marginal at best. There's the Tati second yellow card for diving when at the very least there is some contact. You could argue he is going to ground when that contact occurs. Uh, but it's always been up in the air as to whether or not he uh, actually took a dive. And then there's, I think, a, a Korean player elbowing Del Piero that doesn't get called at all that was in the box. That could have been a penalty for Italy. Uh, there's another, I think, kick to the head for Maldini that does not get called where a player is trying to get the ball. But the ball is pretty much gone, and he just kicks Maldini in the head. So a lot of things allowed to go on, but then a lot of other things uh, punish pretty severely, all leading to this idea that... Uh, FIFA wanted the host nation to go far or the host nation were willing to do whatever they needed to to make it far in that tournament. It just feels like maybe there was just really bad officiating and then yeah. things kind of kept going that way. I'm not sure how much of a conspiracy I actually ended up buying into. I think it was just a bad official who didn't do a very good job of keeping control of the game. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I, one of the things that's confusing about the conspiracy theory around FIFA wanting the host nation yeah. to do well is that there was another host nation at this tournament. Yep. Like, why did Japan not yeah. get any of the same decisions? Or we haven't really seen it with other host nations, other World Cups that I can think of. Anyway, I think it was just most likely a combination of a bad referee, um, a, ba- a, a, a bad per- officiating performance, and also just a referee who 
maybe wasn't accustomed to yep. being in that kind of atmosphere. Mm. I think that happens quite often at yep. World Cups, where obviously they're drawing officials from around the world. And just the nature of the soccer landscape, some of those officials are coming from leagues or countries where they don't have the the mm. spectacle of, that a World Cup has. And I just think a home World Cup for South Korea, do you remember the atmospheres for oh, their yeah. games? Maybe some of the loudest atmospheres mm-hmm. I've ever... Obviously, I was just watching from uh, from home on, on TV, but it came across the TV. It, it seemed like a fervent atmosphere. And I, I can imagine when South Korea were the storyline and there's that atmosphere, there's probably a subconscious pressure to maybe favor, favor them a little bit with some of the decisions. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what happened rather than some kind of brown envelope being passed before yeah. the match. Uh, two things there. I think, one, the host nation thing, it's a good point about Japan, Graham, that does get sort of lost in the shuffle. It's it's still in the time period when every host nation up till that point had managed to get out of the group and into the knockout round. South Africa, the first one to break that trend. Qatar did the same thing more recently. Um, but I think at the time, that was part of, of the fuel to that narrative. And then it's also worth just pointing out. I remember at the time thinking, this is this is a, a, a fixed match. This is ridiculous. I was definitely pulling for Italy in that one. Going back and looking again, it was not a particularly inspirational team. They did not play great football at that World Cup. And honestly, the same goes for that Spain team in 2002. And that's where I think a lot of the conspiracy comes from is it wasn't just one game. It was Italy and then Spain. But that's a Spain team that barely scraped past a very fun uh, Republic of Ireland team. And maybe that's why I also... Was, was pulling for someone to knock Spain out because I wanted that Ireland team to go far. Uh, but, but I think it, it is just maybe two really poorly officiated matches. But when you put those together with the host nation, it just starts to look a little bit fishy. But I'm not sure if I would go fully into the conspiracy territory. Uh, the other two that I, I do definitely buy into more would be the, the idea that the Russia team in 2018 was blood doping or mm. uh, doing some nefarious things. We know that Russian sports teams and, and athletes have have taken shortcuts, shall we say, uh, in the past, uh, specifically Olympic athletes, but other sports as well. Yeah, as far and even going as far as like, I think there were players where, that seemed to have like injection sites yeah, <laughs> like, at the time that could just be because they were getting IVs as a way to sort of rapidly rehydrate. But that one feels more accurate, especially when like half that team was running like, like 10 miles in a game or whatever it was that felt like a thing for a team that hadn't had a ton of success. They weren't just bunkering. They were running and running and running and running and running and running. And that hadn't really been their style until the tournament. So that one I definitely buy into and then the one that I don't even know if it's a conspiracy anymore, but was for a while, is the awarding of the of the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. Uh, there was an idea that there was maybe some bribery. There was an idea that maybe some people took some payments or that FIFA decided to award those those bids to Russia and Qatar, respectively, for reasons other than their footballing acumen and history. And I don't even, as I said, I don't even know if that's a conspiracy anymore because so many people have been indicted and charged and forced to resign in disgrace. To me, it feels pretty clear that they just straight up took the money. Uh, there were bribes accepted. Uh, and that is how we ended up getting the, the Russia and Qatar World Cups. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the level of corruption that happened in a broader sense at FIFA around that time, that is, that is a factual thing to say. People have gone to jail. People have been removed from their positions due to corruption within FIFA around that time Qatar always argued there was there was a separation between those two things uh, but I will editorialize with my own opinion here and say I'm joining those dots and I'm yeah. saying in that culture 
there surely must have been um, some kind of corruption that led to the award of, of, of those two tournaments, in my opinion. And I remember uh, Grant Wall covering it at the time, covering it as the, the, the bids were awarded and decided, and him writing about, like, I think it was I think it was on Twitter. It was, like, early days of Twitter. Uh, but I remember him writing, like, the FIFA delegation and the Qatargate delegation seemed very, very chummy from like, like from an early on. Like I remember him talking about Sunil Gulati, uh, trying to work the room and having different meetings with different personnel. But oftentimes it would like he would leave and then the Qatar delegation, Qatar delegation would go over and it would just be very chummy chatting and convivial atmosphere. And it started to feel very much like Qatar seemed like they are very confident that that they are going to win this one when they were not expected to really be even one of the finalists as i recall so i definitely think there was some tomfoolery there if you want to say that's a conspiracy you can if you want to say that's what factually happened i would stick my neck out and say that yeah you could probably say that too we don't really have any along the lines of like michael jordan retired because he was suspended for a year we don't get any of those level of crazy that i could find uh in my global football conspiracies but i welcome uh listeners to send us their favorites if there's any we missed or any more elaborate ones that we might not have seen i have to believe that given the atmosphere regarding u.s soccer on twitter there has to be a few conspiracies relating to the u.s national team that i i have left off maybe even the u.s women and why they didn't do well at the last world cup i'm sure there's something about the, the global soccer forces colluding to make sure that we didn't win three in a row and if so for shame fifa for shame but there's already <laughs> reasons for fifa to feel shame graham any other ones you want to mention any others that were on your list or do you feel like we've we've gone through all the biggest and best I feel like we've gone through a, a good number. We won't have covered everything, mm. of course, and I would say to listeners who have thought of conspiracy theories they were interested in or anything that we have, have missed, get in touch with us because I think everyone has that conspirat- conspiratorial interest to a certain uh, extent. We might not have a tin hat collection like Taylor does, but you mm. know everyone's got that that natural reflex to be interested in alternative history. So get in touch with us if we've missed anything, uh, whether that's in the Discord or on Twitter or send an email or whatever. We'd love to hear your conspiracy theories as well. That we would. Graham Ruffin, thank you for all of your efforts today. I was excited to learn that the 1958 World Cup did not happen, happen that Johan Cruyff has naked champagne pool parties, and that uh, Bobby Moore can't be trusted in jewelry shops. (laughs) One, Johan, where's my invite? Two, Pele was a figment of our imagination. We imagined that. We all know this. We all know this to be true. Graham, I'm glad you're on board. Uh, I will be sending you your tin hat in the mail, but not the U.S. mail because they're part of it, Graham. They're all part of it. Um, Listeners, I apologize for how the direction I've taken things as we conclude this one. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to your conspiratorial submissions and we'll talk to you again next week.